that's at work to lead his flock. That means that, that he, he is at work then to leave, lead us as a body of harvest, as one of his flocks on this earth. Uh, so Purdue beat IU on Thursday. Sorry. If you only <laughs> if you only land one out of every four shots, that's going to happen for sure. Yeah. It wasn't without the student section, though. The student section that had been clearly instructed in in the that the paint crew, what they were supposed to do when the, the team took the floor, when the team was on defense or offense, or when the team made a free throw, or when another player, an IU player, fouled out, you know, the same that they do at Wabash, left, right, left, sit down. They even, they even went as far as to instruct the student body in, in if the opposing player that fouls out tries to sit down when the free throw is being shot, wait to say sit down until after the free throw is shot. I mean, to that detail. And, and that's leadership. And it was followed. If it wasn't followed, it wouldn't be leadership. The, the fact is this, and that's all I'll say more about that, that game. But the, the, <laughs> the, the, the fact is this, that, that the simplest definition of a leader is a leader has followers. A leader has followers, a person who is followed. Franklin Roosevelt said, it is a terrible thing to look over your shoulder when you're trying to lead and find that no one is there. Because guess what? You're not a leader in that situation. Or one uh, saying that I picked up from somewhere that I appreciate that says, don't run so far ahead of the troops that you get shot in the back. A leader is going to have followers that isn't aren't shooting him in the back. Or then there's uh, the, the statement that came from the movie A Bug's Life. First rule of leadership, everything is your fault. <laughs> Peter turns in his letter, talking about persecution, talking about the, the disciplining judgment of God, if you will, on his flock he turns his letter to speak to leaders, to speak to the shepherds, the elders of these churches in Asia Minor that he writes to. And so he turns here in chapter 5, which we've moved into starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, if, as I mentioned, the, the context of the letter is, is referencing the historical situation in the Roman Empire, which Peter likely sees brewing in Rome, which he references in chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And he leads in, if you notice, in chapter 5 saying, So, I exhort the elders among you. These verses are a logical continuation of these previous statements in which Peter has talked about the refining fire that will begin with God's household. 
and with his leadership. If, if you looked at Ezekiel um, 9, which uh, the further study sheet um, points you to from last week, uh, and we talked a little bit about in, in the message, Ezekiel 9 is that vision of, of judgment on God's people of Israel and that, dis- that disciplining work that was to start at his temple and to start with his elders of the people of Israel. And, and it's connecting with this that Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you. Uh, IVP commentary says, the, be- the behavior of church leaders in the time of crisis could encourage or discourage the flock. The leaders once known would be the first targets of search, capture, torture, and execution. Peter experienced this. You can read about it in the book of Acts, where in in one chapter where, where James and Peter are arrested, and James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is beheaded. And when Herod saw that this pleased the Jewish rulers, he planned to kill Peter the next morning. But it was God's answer to the prayers of the church in Jerusalem for Peter's deliverance. In answer to those prayers that God sent an angel, if you recall, that released Peter from prison, from that jail. Peter is well aware of persecutions. He's well experienced persecutions. He would die eventually at the hand of Nero, the emperor of Rome. You know, Scars come with life. I've been told that I have a head for shaving because I don't have very many scars. I got this one big one on the side here. I don't think there's any hiding that anyways. I have a head for shaving because you don't want to see it covered with hair. Believe me. But, you know, the fact that I don't have a lot of scars just shows that I didn't have enough adventure as a boy. Because for boys, scars come with the territory. But there's a difference between scars and festering wounds. You know, wounds that maybe there might be a covering over it, but underneath the surface it's hot. It's it's brewing. It's infected. Peter had scars. Peter describes, he describes himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's referencing back to his watching Jesus' sufferings, his fearing suffering the way that Jesus did, leading him to deny Jesus. Peter is not proud of his scars, but he wasn't bashful about them either. He saw them in the context of God's forgiveness. That he, was a, he would be as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed when his Jesus, his friend, returned. Elders have scars. Shepherds have scars. That comes with the territory. We can't have festering wounds. But we have scars. And we've seen with Peter that he recalls his failures covered with grace. And we'll see how he uses the very same restoring term as he continues speaking to these to these elders of the churches of Asia Minor where he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering those over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And, even, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As I said, simplest definition of leaders is that they have followers. Hopefully not blind followers. That, that Well, we're just going to go wherever he goes. Doesn't matter who's leading him. But followers are important. And that's why he turns to and says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The final sentence of, of these verses provides the foundational principle for all followers of Christ. So we're starting there with what applies to all parties involved. And I challenge you this morning, review your church attire. And attire is there in quotation marks. Because we're challenged here, clothe yourselves, all of you. That means all of us, shepherds and non-shepherds. All of the flock, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This includes the sheep of God's flock and those sheep that he has called to be shepherding sheep or elders. I challenge you to review your church attire, meaning all of us should look at whether our hearts are clothed with humility. When would Peter have seen Jesus clothe himself with humility? Think back to the upper room the night before Jesus would be arrested and tried and crucified eventually. Think back to John 13, where it says in verses 3 and 4 that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? This was one of the ultimate acts of service by the Lord. The Lord of the universe. Clothing himself with humility. Doesn't have anything to do with capability, folks. Doesn't have anything to do with how much praise we deserve. We're called to clothe ourselves with humility. And he even says as much in verses 13 through 15 of John 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should follow that you also should do just as I have done to you. I, you know, I've shared with you before that the church I grew up in, it, it was kind of, I felt like it was like a fashion show. All right? It was, you know, it was suits and high heels and, and jewelry and all that. And, and somehow I still wasn't embarrassed when my parents made me go to school without shoes on because I couldn't find one of my shoes. But, 
you know, I, I just I wasn't really interested in the fashion show and stuff. And I, and I appreciate that at Harvest we, we encourage you to, to come dressed as, as you are. Uh, Kelly grew up in a different kind of fashion show. Up in central Wisconsin, it was camo and hunter orange. So, you know, our family dressing up a little bit more for church is a little bit more important for her. But, 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 but as a body, we invite people to join us in whatever clothes they're wearing. Still, it's important that we're to do what we're told here, to dress our hearts with humility toward one another. And the reasoning is because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And folks, we need grace. We need God's grace. We, we are still in, even if you've known Christ as your Savior for 40 years, you are still in a gospel cycle. And that gospel cycle began with that, when your grace relationship with God began, and it began with God humbling your heart in the recognition that you cannot save yourself, that you do not deserve in yourself a relationship with Him, with the Holy God. In fact, anything you bring to the table just pushes you further away from deserving a relationship with Him. But He gives grace to the humble. He offers grace to those in, 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 in beginning a grace relationship with God to those who, who recognize that they have nothing to offer but sin, but Jesus took sin, and he paid for it, and he offers righteousness. And, and we, even as we grow, even as we still need grace to grow, we grow in that same gospel cycle of recognizing I need God's grace. I cannot do this myself. This has put me in a place where I need to confess my sin. I need to seek forgiveness. And, and we are brought low in humility. And we recognize that his grace is available. And he lifts us up in his grace. And you know what? We keep growing and moving forward in a gospel cycle. Continuing on in that grace relationship with God. God opposes the proud. It, it literally means he sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Imagine, if you will, that you're driving one of these tin can smart cars, all right? You know, that like will fall over if you sneeze on it, right? And, and, and it's not running, okay? It won't start. And you got this friend with you that's like been lifting weights and everything, and he could pick this car up if he wanted to. And you're like, man, you're going to have to get out and push. He's like, okay. Which direction is that car going to go? Whatever direction your friend wants it to go. If he gets out in front of it and pushes it backward, it's going to go backward. If he gets out behind it and pushes it forward, it's going to go forward. That's the picture here. God stands against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. That we only move forward in a grace relationship with God by His power anyways. And it comes as a grace. And it comes as we humble ourselves asking Him for it. His grace is working in humble people 
Those who are new in Christ or those who are long-standing in Christ. Shepherds or non-shepherds part of this flock. That's how it works for all of us. And the majority of this passage is written to elders, shepherds of God's flock. You're kind of reading our mail here. Still, our passage instructs us all to recognize the pastoral role of elders. Now, in, in our evangelical culture abroad, though, that sounds like strange terms, pastoral role of elders. We have this tendency to think that the pastor and the elder, that that's kind of something different. But I want to show you here today that, that theologically it's not. But first of all, recognize the pastoral role of elders is our big idea here in this section where he says, to these elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter was forever marked by Jesus' not just his denial of Christ, not just his 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 observation, his, his witness to Christ's sufferings, but he was forever marked by Jesus' restoring him back to ministry as a shepherd of his flock. And he uses the same term that Jesus used with him. When he says, shepherd the flock of God, it's the same exact term that we describe when Jesus said, Peter, tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. He is passing on as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd to the others. Saying, do the very thing that God, that God called you to do, just as he called me to do it. When he called me back. And being in a pastoral role means elders are sheep that are functioning as shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. To shepherd means to guide and to help and to take care of. Sometimes in, in the New Testament they're called overseers. Speaking to the responsibility of the office, it's like a, a, a forest ranger. Okay, used to be a forest ranger would climb up into his tower and that would help him to see over the forest. The, the, the shepherding sheep is one who has been called to climb up in the tower and see over the flock, how they can need to be cared for. This is the, the term that Paul, the Apostle Paul uses in Acts 20 when it says he called together the elders from that area around Ephesus. And then in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the flock of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Overseer and elder and shepherd and pastor, they are synonymous. Calling someone an elder refers to the spiritual maturity required for the office. The title shepherd is also translated in most English versions as pastor in Ephesians 4.11 where it says, and he gave some as apostles, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, or as the ESV says, the shepherds and teachers. It's, it's the noun form of what our passage talks about, shepherd the flock of God. It's, it's similar to like the idea that the pilot pilots the plane. The pastor pastors 
the, the, the congregation. Or as uh, our verse calls it, the shepherd shepherds the congregation. They're synonymous. And this is to be done with right motives. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. This, this begins three exhortations of how elders are to shepherd the flock of God, and it, it matches up with three common temptations for elders. It, first of all, it's not to be under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. It's to be voluntarily. This is not to be externally motivated by pressure. It's to be of his own free will. It's not to be snookered into the role. And elders are also exhorted to keep, to, about keeping their fleshly motives in check, about their internal motivation, motivations, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, obeying God's leading, not because there can be fleshly gain from it. It's not about prestige, or if he's, as he points out here, shameful financial gain. Shameful meaning dishonest or unfair practices. Understand that that shepherds of the flock would have access to the funds that were given as an offering. I've wondered at times if Peter was thinking of Judas in this situation because the Gospels describe that Judas carried the money box and it says from which he would dip into from time to time. And and this might seem really foreign to us, but an example that's also foreign because it comes from another country. Um, I remember speaking to um, a, um, a, a missionary from a third world country. And he was talking about how some of the area pastors um, and, and elders were, were angry with him. And he was even receiving some death threats. And I was like, what? He said, oh yeah, they don't like me very much. You see, a lot of these churches get support, and this isn't across the board, this is just what this missionary is experiencing. They get support from, from, ch- from churches in the U.S. And in, the, and in Europe. And when it comes in, if, if you're on the elder team, you get a cut from what is sent in. It was almost like a crime family type situation. And that was their elder boards. And, and so they weren't very happy with him because he was letting these churches in the West know this is what's going on. I know I I know very closely some some churches that that the the leadership tracks who gives how much in the church's offering, and and the the temptation is very strong there to to treat people differently because of what they bring to the Lord in their offering. I I'm I'm very glad to say at at here at Harvest you know our treasurer and our financial secretary are the only ones. That, that are aware of who gives what. And, and that's we, we do that intentionally. I'm not casting dispersion on other. I think it would be a tempting situation for us otherwise. <clears throat> Leading into this third temptation of domineering, you know, because I said so might be okay like up to three years old. You know, any further than that, that sort of explanation kind of becomes unhealthy. Because I said so. Well, we see in our verses that shepherds also aren't to function because I said so. Because I said, do you know who you're talking to here? I mean, you you do realize I told you to do this. 
You're told not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Domineering references a forceful ruling over, forcing, subduing, carrying the idea of harsh or excessive use of authority. Dwight Eisenhower said, you do not lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. It can also be from someone delighting in their use of authority or seeking to increase or preserve or flaunt their authority at any cost. This recalls back to to God's rebuke of Israel's shepherds, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of his people, Israel, in the book of of Ezekiel. Where you can read in Ezekiel 34, verse 4, and and your further study sheet kind of goes into this a little bit. Where he says in Ezekiel 34, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. It's sad for me that some of you have experienced this. That's not what it's meant to be. It's not what it's meant to be. Historically, which it's a good history, harvest has been a place where people have been able to come and heal. And it continues that. But it would not be so without leaders that look and say, I am to serve, not domineer. Uh, where, where did Jeff and I kind of stick into this? We are shepherds that are following a calling that God has given us to do shepherding with all of our time that we can. And we are so blessed that, that Harvest as a body has chosen to provide for us and provide for our families so that we can give our maximum time to shepherding this flock. That's where we fit in. We, when we sit down for a shepherd team meeting, we carry the same weight as everybody else. We might carry a different leadership, but as far as office or position, you know, we don't vote on things, but, but we, if we did, we would carry the same vote as anyone else. That has been a healthy tradition at Harvest, a, a history of Harvest that's valuable. You know, in, in following that kind of, that, that, uh, the healing place, you know, think of a teaching hospital, all right? At a teaching hospital, you got people that are doctors that they kind of have a job of helping the, the other doctors who are also students to doctor. You know, you might be sitting there and, and come in, you got like three doctors that come in. And the one that seems a little bit older, and he's kind of like maybe a little bit more in charge, he's like, oh, this is Dr. So-and-so, and this is Dr. So-and-so, and I'm Dr. So-and-so, and and well, these doctors are learning from this doctor. Jeff and I kind of function as kind of that equipping doctor to ministering doctors. And, and, and you don't have to be on the shepherd team to be a ministering doctor, if you will, to be in the work of shepherding. It's kind of how it works here. It's a good history. It's a good tradition. It's how God's wired us. You know, there's a difference between a pilot and an air traffic controller. The air traffic controller is it's a stressful job for sure, but, but he's not in the plane, he's in a tower. He's at a safe, distant, stable situation, you know, air-conditioned, heated, sipping on coffee. That is not the picture 
of, of shepherding the flock. I love how Peter includes himself. Peter's not calling out as an air traffic controller. He's even a fellow shepherd to these shepherds that are pilots of the plane. They're going through the turbulence. They're taking the same risks. They're seeing the same reward. They're able to stand there and, and say, oh, I'm glad you made it here safely too because that means I did as well. And guess what? They're going through all of that first in line. Plain and simple. As Warren Wiersbe writes, don't govern by the use of threats, emotional intimidation, or flaunting of power, nor generally by the use of political force within the church, but rather by power of example whenever possible. You know, it is a not a good situation when parents have to say to their children, don't use those words. Those are mommy and daddy words. Right? Because they've got to explain why it is that they're allowed to talk that way, they're allowed to act that way, they're allowed to be that way, but the kids aren't. That is not how leadership is to be in God's flock. Healthy leadership flows out of leading by example. Or as Wayne Gruden says, those in leadership positions in the church should realize that the requirement to live a life worthy of imitation is not optional. It is a major part of the job. And I can tell you, it is such a blessing to serve at a church where this has been the tradition. And it, it, it is, makes it a much simpler tradition to carry on. This is the kind of environment that leads the church to be clothed in humility. To be ready for God's power of His grace to move them forward. You see how it fits together. I I appreciate what Harold Longenecker said. To end up with servant leaders, we must begin with servant leaders. Servant leaders that are leading by example of servant leading. And I believe we're in a good place for this. And harvests, shepherds, and elders, as, as the shepherds and elders, we are simply sheep that have been called to the function of shepherding. And we try to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. And being in a pastoral role means that shepherds are to be focusing on the chief shepherd. I love that God gives himself that name. Or he gives that name to Jesus. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Crawford Loritz defines the church leader as the person that God entrusts to implement and fulfill his assignments. God is described as the great overseer of our souls in chapter 2, verse 25 of this same letter. And elders have been given the job of being earthly overseers under the great overseer of our souls. And in the same way, we are called to shepherd for the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. You know, thinking again about <clears throat> air traffic control and pilots. Who is a pilot supposed to be listening to? He's not going to come over the, the, the um, PA and say, well, thank you for flying with us today. The stewardess, stewardess is passing out uh, ballots. And uh, on the ballot, you'll see that you have the choice of going to Miami or New York or uh, Chicago. So please mark your vote. And we'll be collecting those, and that's how we're going to decide where we're going to go, folks. Right? He doesn't say, what, what altitude do you guys want to fly at? 
He has the job of listening to the one that is to be directing him so that he can lead that plane into a safe and fruitful experience. All church leaders have a responsibility of following Christ's directives. Only men who submit to Jesus in all areas should be considered for the position. And that's what we do. And that's what we've seen in men that have served in the past as well. Warren Wiersbe says, everything in the local church rises and falls with leadership. No matter how large or small a fellowship might be, the leaders must be Christians, each with a vital personal relationship with Christ, a loving concern for their people, and a real desire to please Jesus. You know, speaking of this, this unfading crown of glory, here's the important term here, okay? It's not crown. The, t- the important term here is unfading, okay? Any sort of praise, any sort of prestige, any, any sort of, of uh, leadership ability, it's going to fade. Death is no respecter of age, illness, or Dementia. There's no, it doesn't, doesn't look at someone and say, oh, but that's a great leader. It's going to fade. What is not going to fade? Jesus' reward. And that goes for all of us. And even if it's some sort of material reward, I don't think any of us are going to hold on to it. As John pointed out, Revelation 4.4, in in that picture of God's throne room, the 24 elders, I don't know who these guys are, but they're important. The 24 elders are sitting around God's throne. And at one point, they all stand and take off their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. And I I really believe that any crown we gain from from our time here is just going to be more opportunity to praise our Savior. And offer it up to him. So we're learning about God's grace at work to lead his flock. We are talking about here about Christ's ability to lead his flock. And how it depends on the relationship that he has established between his flock and his under shepherds. That relationship of leader and follower. As all are are being led by Christ. So I challenge you, lastly here, revisit your submission. Do you see that in the term submission? It's to have a submission under the greater mission. Where he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. When Peter uses likewise in his letter, he's introducing a different group, but along the same subject. He's keeping in the same idea of looking toward the return of the chief shepherd. So likewise, in looking toward his return, and and, and he's saying get with his plan of leading his church through the fellow sheep who are called to be shepherds. Now, when he says you who are younger, this does not uh, absolve we who are not younger. Okay, so who are the younger? Well, it's in reference, basically, you who are not elders. Okay? And, and by younger, oftentimes when, when, when things are directed to the younger, it, it, they are 
it kind of like saying, this is the extreme of this situation. And if they can listen to this, everybody else should too. It applies to anyone who's not in an elder or shepherd position. I can remember, um, even as a youth pastor, even asking a fellow student to lead a certain part of the student ministry. For instance, uh, Matt was, uh, was, and I think I've shared this with you before, Matt was leading the, the, the student worship team. And for the first couple of meetings, I, I sat down at the beginning of their meeting and just said, okay, I have asked Matt to lead you as a group. And, and I've asked him to be about this and this and this. Please help Matt to do that. Because Matt is, is, is doing this because I've asked him to be a leader. And that, that follows the principle that all, lead, all, all authority is lent. All leadership is in a line from ultimate leadership. And one of the key things that I picked up from Francis Chan in his message up at Founders Week was he said, much is said in the New Testament about the responsibility of teachers, the importance of teachers and how they need to live and how they need to behave. But he looked at us and said, but do you realize that much, much more is said about the responsibility of the hearer and their responsibility to apply, their responsibility to do what they have heard should be done. And it's the same way in the, in the, the, the sheep who's been called the shepherd for the chief shepherd and the sheep that have been called to follow. This is why I challenge you to revisit your submission. This is why, why Peter brings it to be subject to the elders. It's a relationship of leadership. It's a relationship in which both parties have power. I read about this in a book called Relational Leadership. There's power on both sides. Where it says leaders have power when followers see the reason to accept the influence. That's what allows them to have the power to lead. Followers have power to choose whether or not to act. Followers always have power to affect the outcome. But leaders must gain the power to affect the outcome through the followers. That's being a leader. You have the power to derail God's leadership of harvest. A leader has the power to derail God's leadership at harvest. But together, walking in in humility, he gives grace to the humble. Remember, under his leadership is what we're called to do. He describes this same leader-follower relationship in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's recall some just major concepts here as we close this. Talking about God's grace at work to lead us as his flock. Christ is the chief shepherd. He is involved. He expects his sheep who are his under shepherds to to follow him 
He expects other sheep who aren't under shepherds to follow him as they follow those shepherds. Any sheep who thinks that their leader isn't following the chief shepherd should speak up and say, hey, I don't think you're hearing him right. I don't think we're following him here. Because, guys, that's our goal together, to follow our chief shepherd. No matter our position before God, we are to help each other follow Christ. This is greatly helped when we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's closing with one last quote here. Warren Wiersbe says, We can never be submissive to each other until we are first submissive to God. It takes grace to submit to another believer. But God can give that grace if we humble ourselves before Him. So we submit ourselves to God. He gives us the grace to submit to one another. And He gives greater grace as we follow Him together. Hopefully you can see from our passage here that God's grace is at work in leading us as his flock. Let's bow our heads.